turn to the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 95, Psalm 95. It's a real joy to be back. Thank you for the few uh, days respite Don and I was able to have. We were able to go to, to Pennsylvania and visit our, our uh, son and our uh, daughter-in-law and our, more specifically our grandchildren, amen. So we are excited about that and Don and I spent lots of time uh, playing uh, uh, with Austin, so I appreciate that as well. The uh, one uh, side note to the whole matter was uh, Sunday, uh, we went to bed and woke up and there was uh, about six inches of snow, amen? And so uh, I thought about this and I thought, you know what, I might make it through a whole year without any snow. We haven't any snow here in Virginia, so it's pretty unlikely now that, we, that we're going to get snow. And I said, I haven't shoveled snow all year, but, you know, lo and behold, uh, they got six inches, and six inches is really nothing if you're from that part of the, you know, the United States, but my son, uh, he's a millennial, and he takes the easy way out. He got him a snowblower, so I just had to do a little bit around the car tires and stuff, and uh, a little bit of the sidewalk, and he, you know, he used a snowblower, amen, and uh, so we appreciate you praying for us as well as able to get my taxes done for this year, and, and thank the Lord I don't owe, amen. I hope you didn't have to owe, uh, but uh, God surely has been uh, good to us. We're going to continue in our series of Be the Church. We set our theme up this year of Be the Church using Matthew 5, 13 and 14 kind of as our theme verses for this year. And I hope that you have been working diligently, diligently to memorize those two verses. On the back of your bulletin, we have uh, a memory verse back there, and that's kind of why we want you to be memorizing that uh, during uh, the next uh, couple of weeks. And then uh, I think uh, perhaps maybe at beginning of soon we're going to switch that to another verse. But So you try to hide those uh, words uh, uh, deep in, in your heart. You know, the Bible frequently mentions sheep and it me mentions shepherds. Uh, a great deal of the Middle East is a desert land where it's not possible to grow large amount of crops. In the Bible times, the irrigation wasn't like it is today. There was not uh, those kind of technological advances that would make uh, uh, farmers be able to grow a lot of crops. So people did something else. Instead of raising crops, they raised animals. And if a man was wealthy enough to have many flocks that his family could, more than he could care for, he would hire shepherds to care for his flocks. And it goes without saying that the character and the skill of those shepherds were very important to the owner of those flocks. And it was vitally important that these shepherds be capable of be trustworthy men. The good shepherd, if you think about it, cares for us. So we don't have to worry about any harm coming our way because of his ignorance or his negligence. I thank God for the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at this metaphor of a, a sheep uh, and think about this thought of a sheep of Christ, a flock. So let's stand as we read here in Psalm 95. We'll read verses 1 through verse number 7 and then have a word of prayer. The Bible said in Psalm 95, beginning in verse number 1, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. And his hands are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. And particularly notice verse number 7. Because of verses 1 through 6, we can say in verse number 7, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. Let's pray. 
Father, we bow our heart on our knee before you this morning. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this time we can gather together as your people, Father, coming together to worship you, to bring you honor and glory. I pray now, Father, for the preaching of your word. Oh, Father, may it go out with great power. Father, may it find a resting place deep inside our hearts. May it penetrate even uh, those recesses of our hearts that we hide back from you. May every crevice, Father, may every crack, may every portion of our heart be filled with your word today. Father, would you challenge us, Father, as we need to be challenged today. We pray for the other ministries going on, Father. We pray your blessings upon uh, those children's ministries, Father, even the nursery, Father. Bless those ladies in their working, keeping our children safe and secure. So, Father, now as we humbly bow before you, we ask that you would bless as only you can do. And, Father, when we're done, we'll give you praise and honor and glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. I want you to notice three things with me this morning, uh, particularly three Bible principles, how as God's sheep we should respond to the Good Shepherd. Notice, first of all, uh, this morning that we need to hear the shepherd's voice. Hear the shepherd's voice, and that speaks of our allegiance to him. You know, sheep need to listen to the shepherd's voice. The shepherd has a primary responsibility to keep the sheep safe. So it's imperative that the sheep listen and obey the shepherd. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Those of us who have children know how important it is for the children to listen to us and to obey us immediately. We teach that to them very early on in life. And this obedience can be a matter of their life or their death. If you have a small child and they wandered out near a busy street and you're too far away to be able to reach them by your hand or by the hair of their heads, you want them to be obedient to you and you shout, stop, don't go any farther. You want them to be obedient to you. Understand this in God's infinite wisdom. He sees the dangers that we can't see, and he instructs us uh, to listen to him so that we can avoid the dangers that God sees ahead of us. And just as sheep listen to the shepherds, we need to listen to our Lord and recognize his voice. So as we hear the shepherd's voice, I want you to notice this, that we should constantly feed. We should be constantly feeding. You see, sheep are constantly eating or they're chewing their cud. You see, uh, sheep are renumerants, uh, just like cattle. And that word simply just means this. They have a, a digestive process that involves their food passing through different chambers inside their stomach. And periodically, that food, or it's called a cud, is brought back up again so they can chew it just a, a little bit more. Some of you say, I've acid reflux, Pastor, and I know exactly what you're talking about. That's not exactly the same thing, but maybe you get a, a little bit of taste of what a sheep goes through. And the behavior of a sheep really is a good picture of the relationship that we should have with the Word of God. You see, the Word of God is represented as something that we can ingest into our hearts, that we can ingest into our minds. It's similar to the same way that we take food into our stomach. As a matter of fact, Job says this in the 23rd chapter, in the 12th verse, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I wonder if you and I are like that this morning. I wonder if we can say like Job, God, I esteem uh, your words uh, of your mouth more than the necessary food that I eat three times a day. 
The psalmist said in Psalm 34 in verse number 8, O taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. The psalmist continues in Psalm 119 in verse 103. He says these words, How sweet are the words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Some of you know that... Uh, I recently been diagnosed with diabetes, and although I can eat sweets and I can eat carbs, the doctor said it's best if I don't, and so I'm trying to cut down on those things, and, and really, uh, the truth of the matter is, I don't really miss sweets. Um, I like a cake or a piece of pie as much as the next person, those little Debbie snack cakes, I can eat one or two there, there's nothing wrong with that, I do enjoy that, but truthfully, I miss the carbs, I miss the bread, the pasta, the pizzas, I miss everything like that, but every once in a while, I get a sweet tooth and a hankering for just something small. And so I'm reminded here how sweet are the words unto my taste. And so listen, you don't have to eat little Debbie snack cakes. You don't have to eat the cake. You don't have to have a milkshake. Turn to God's word. The psalmist says his words are sweet unto my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. We need to to feast our souls and feast our spirits on the Word of God. Just like our physical body will begin to deteriorate from the lack of food, guess what? Our spiritual life will wither if we're not consuming God's Word. Being faithful to church and listening to the preaching of God's Word, along with maintaining a very strong devotional life, is crucial for your Christian life. Don't think you can make it. Don't think you're going to be a strong Christian without that. Paul explained this to the Corinthian believers. He basically said this, that they needed to teach them the basics of the Word of God because they were not ready yet to handle the meat of God's Word or the deeper truths of God's Word. He said this in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither now are ye able. How sad that is. If you've been safe for any length of time and you can't handle the meat and the deeper truths of God's word, it's because you have not been eating and living of God's word inside of you. The writer of Hebrews conveyed a, conveyed a similar message as well in Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 12. He said this, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have the need of milk and not of strong drink. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the words of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So I guess this morning we need, to un we need to think about this thought inside of ourself. Am I drinking the milk of God's word or am I eating the meat of God's word? You see, the Hebrews did not grow beyond the baby stage in their Christian life. They still required milk or the rudiments of God's word. They couldn't handle the deeper or the strong meat of God's word. Listen, I want you to come. This next couple of weeks as we uh, start off with revival and then we head uh, towards our, our uh, apologetics uh, conference that we're going to have on Sunday night and, and Wednesday and Sunday night and Wednesday, we're going to give you some meat, amen, but understand that this meat that you're going to get is not going to something that's going to just shoot over top of your head. It's going to be some strong meat, some answers for you to be able to give an account of the hope that lies within you. I want to encourage everyone to do it. Pastor James is working diligently 
actually on having a booklet prepared for you that you can take home and study and memorize some scriptures and uh, understand some things and be able to be a help to you. It, it's a shame if all we go through this life and we claim Christ is our Savior and all we have is just drinking milk. It's time for some meat, amen. God expects us to be strong in the deeper part of his word. Let's think about the sheep as a ruminant uh, as he chews on his cud. So here's the sheep. He's chewing on his cud. Notice the thoughtful look that comes across his face as he chews. He just brings it back up again. There it is. He's chewing it away. He says, thank God I didn't even have to bend over to get some fresh grass. There was some there for me. Listen, he chews and chews and chews. He doesn't gulp it down as fast as he can and quickly bring up more cut. No, he gets every bit of nourishment he possibly can from each and every mouthful. In other words, we could say this, he enjoys it. You know, have you ever watched someone eat something that they really enjoy? Maybe it's a big piece of cherry pie with crumb topping, and it's a little warm. It's got some ice cream just right on top. No carb ice cream, no carb cherry pie, just right there for you to eat. No sugar, no carbohydrate, there's nothing in it. It's free to eat, and you're drooling at it. And you take that first bud and put it in your mouth, and you just savor it. You're like, man, this is the best thing I ever had in all my life. Listen, that's where we ought to be with God's Word. We ought to ruminate on God's Word. In other words, we ought to meditate upon it. Just reading the Bible will not give you enough spiritual nourishment. Thank God if you're reading your Bible through this year. I I'm happy for you. I'm excited for you. But understand this, just reading God's Word is not going to give you nourishment. We must meditate upon it. We must literally study it. That word literally means to think about it. That word means to consider it carefully. That word means to ponder God's word. So in other words, get all you can from each and every passage that God uh, places upon your heart. I wonder how many here today would say, Pastor David, I want to be a successful Christian. If you want to be a successful Christian today, raise your hand. Everybody just about raised their hand and said, yes, I want to be a successful Christian. You understand that God tells you how to be a successful Christian? He told Joshua in Joshua 1 in verse number 8, he told him how to achieve success. He says this, the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have a good success. So what did God tell Joshua? How could he have great success in the Christian life? He said him to observe all that is written therein. He said, thou shalt meditate upon it. Don't let the law depart from my mouth. Continually be thinking about God's word. I wonder how many would say today, Pastor Dave, I want to be blessed by God. If you want to be blessed by God today, raise your hand. Listen, I want you to understand that you can be blessed by God. The psalmist writes and tells us how that you and I can not only have success, but we can be blessed. In Psalms 1 and verses 1 and 2, the Bible says this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But notice verse number 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Do you want to be blessed by God? He tells us how. 
Don't hang around with the ungodly. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. And keep God's word in the forefront of your mind. Meditate upon it day and night. God says you can do that. And the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. And that centers around uh, our relationship with the Word of God. Five times in that chapter, meditation is mentioned. You know what? As far as I can tell, there's no place in God's Word where it tells us to read God's Word. It tells us to meditate upon God's Word. In Psalm 119, verse 15, it says, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. Verse 15, or verse 23, princesses also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statues. In verse 48, the Bible said, my hands will I lift up unto the commandments which I have loved, and I will meditate upon thy statues. In verse 78, let the proud be ashamed, for they dealt perversely with me without a cause, but I will meditate in thy precepts. Psalm 119, verse 148, my eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. Understand this, whether you can't go to sleep at night, whether the enemy has come up against you, whether the princes did sit and speak about you falsely, understand this, God says that we can have success if we'll meditate upon his word. Here's the trouble. We don't read God's word enough to have it to meditate upon what he has speaks to our heart about. The Apostle Paul even encouraged his young protege in the ministry, Timothy, to meditate on God's principles, lest you think that's just an old testament thing that we that we need to do he tells timothy in first timothy 4 and verse number 15 the first word he uses in that verse is meditate upon these things give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all see every one of us needs to develop this skill of listening to the voice of our heavenly uh, chief shepherd jesus christ by reading and meditating on his word as we hear Notice something else we ought to do. We ought to submit to the shepherd's control. You see, it's one thing just to hear, but if we don't abide by what he tells us, we're in big trouble. See, the closer the sheep are to the shepherd, the safer that the sheep are going to be. In fact, that word shepherd comes from a two-part word meaning sheep and herd. So it's the shepherd's job not only to protect the sheep, but he's also to provide for the sheep. But he has to control them or herd them for him to protect them or provide for them. He needs to lead them to the, the best pastures and the cleanest water. The sheep must submit to and follow the shepherd's leading. Understand this. As God's sheep, we must submit to the control of the chief shepherd Jesus Christ. He knows best, and we need to follow him. Some of the most loved hymns speak of this. I think of that wonderful invitational hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. How about this hymn? Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him, all the way. And how about this blessed hymn by Joseph Gilmore? He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words from heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, whate'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. 
You see, the psalmists also voice their need to have God's leading in their life. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, we find these words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way of everlasting. In Psalm 5, in verse number 8, the psalmist says, Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. In Psalm 32, in verse 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eyes. Thank God for that. And the first couple of verses in Psalm 139 and Psalm 5, in verse number 8, the psalmist is crying out, and he says, God, search me, know me, lead me in the way of everlasting, lead me down the straight path. And then in Psalm 32 and verse number 8, it's as if God says, I'm going to instruct you, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to show you the way that you need to go. I'm going to guide thee with mine eyes. Here's a great principle for you this morning. If we listen, God will speak. If we follow, guess what? He will lead. You see, sheep are safer staying with the rest of the flock. And they're particularly vulnerable to attacks when they get separated from the flock. You see, predators, they don't uh, stand off on a cliff some far away and see a whole pack of sheep. And then they just dive right down into the middle of the pack and get the one right in the exact center. They don't work that way. They watch from afar and they look for the sheep that strays off all by itself, maybe unknowingly does that. And that's when the predator sees an easy dinner and goes and attacks them. You see, Peter warns you and I about a, a predator that stalks us as well. In 1 Peter 5, in verse number 8, he says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You see, the devil, he's our sworn enemy. He's out to devour every one of us. You say, well, not me. He hasn't been knocking at my door lately. Well, hang on. If you're doing anything for the cause of Christ, he's going to come your way. God says that he's out to devour everyone. He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He desires to ruin your life. He desires to take us away from the Lord. He desires to separate us from the flock in order that we might be all by ourselves. And there in our loneliness and our depression and our, and our sinfulness, he's going to attack and devour us if we follow ourselves to become, if we allow ourselves to become separated from God's people, we'll become an easy target for Satan. Paul warned the Ephesians elders about this. In Acts chapter 20, in verse number 9, he said this, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. We must maintain connection to the local New Testament church. We have to be faithful to its services. We have to be accountable to the member and the under-shepherd, the pastor of that local New Testament church. In Hebrews 12, 25, the Bible says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. 
For if, if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. I'm here to encourage you this morning not to turn away from him. Stay by your side. Stay by the flock. Stay faithful to the services. Stay accountable to the membership and the under-shepherd, the pastor of your local New Testament church. Well, give your shepherd complete allegiance by listening to his voice and then by following his control. I think the second principle as God's sheep on how we should respond to the good shepherd is simply this. After we hear, we need to follow the shepherd's lead, and that's our action. Follow the shepherd's lead, that's our action. You say, well, what action should I take? Well, how about this? Number one, keep moving or we'll become stagnant. Keep moving forward or we'll become stagnant. You know, when sheep graze, they eat grass all the way down to the roots. And they can very quickly kill all the grass and destroy the land that they are on. So to prevent overgrazing, the shepherd constantly move their sheep to a fresh pasture from here to there, from here to there, giving that pasture time to regrow, make it available for the sheep in months down the road. Maybe you were, as you grew up, you played the game of Cowboys and Indians. I know my uh, brother and I did uh, play that game, Cowboys and Indians. And maybe you think you were re reenacting some of the days of the Old West. You know, we like to watch Westerns. And maybe you thought when you played that, you're reenacting some of those Old West days. In actual reality, the Cowboys and Indians didn't really fight as much as you might think they have. We always say that term, the Cowboys and Indians, but they really didn't fight as much as you thought. Most of the time, the Indians weren't fighting the Cowboys. They were fighting the soldiers, such as in Custer's Last Stand. They were fighting the railroad men. They were fighting the miners from taking their land. As for the cowboys, they weren't really uh, fighting. Uh, they were generally fighting each other over a card game, sitting in a saloon somewhere. They really weren't uh, fighting the Indians, per se. They fought, uh, they fought sheep ranchers in what was now called the Range Wars. And because of the sheep's grazing methods, the land grazed by the sheep became totally useless for cattle. And because of the sheep's need to continually move to a new pasture, the cowboys felt that the sheep ranchers were taking the open range that they needed to graze their cattle in. Just like sheep, guess what? You and I must be continually on the move or, or we're going to grow stagnant as well. I think Peter reminds us that we need uh, to have constant growth in our life. He says in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. You see... Paul maintained a constant momentum. He moved forward for Jesus Christ. He never sat still. He said in Philippians 3 and verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul was, wasn't worried about standing still, getting stagnant, because he was always moving forward for Christ. That's one reason that our church must continually uh, move forward and work for the advancement of Jesus Christ in Hampton Roads and beyond into the whole world. 
every pastor, every deacon, every trustee, every Sunday school teacher, every bus ministry worker, everyone that has the responsibility in this church, and every church member, and every person that calls Sharon Baptist their church but has not united with us. We need to be looking forward to keep the ministry moving forward. If we don't move forward, guess what? We'll become stale and stagnant, and very soon we'll start to move backwards. We'll need to be keep moving forward or we're going to become stale and stagnant. But then notice something else. We don't follow the crowd. We don't follow the crowd. A USA Today article a number of years ago reported a mass suicide of sheep in Turkey. When I read that headline, I thought, what in the world? A mass suicide of sheep in Turkey. Well, the shepherds apparently very, very briefly left their flock, and one of the sheep decided it wanted to jump off the cliff. So as it jumped off the cliff, guess what happened? When the other shepherds very briefly return back, they're not able to stop over 1,500 sheep from following that first sheep by jumping off the cliff. I mean, very thankfully, because sheep are fluffy and they're very soft, I guess. Only 450 died because the ones at the end jumped on top of the other ones, amen, and saved their life, thank God. So I guess the moral of the story is, you know, if you're going to jump off, don't be the first one, amen. Praise <laughs> the Lord for that. I know what you're thinking. You're saying, well, Pastor Dave, doesn't that contradict your earlier teaching and preaching about staying close together? Let me just say this. No, it doesn't contradict that. You see, the sheep need the flock for protection, but they must listen to the shepherd for direction. You see, quite truthfully, sheep are dumb animals, and they're not very smart at all. And they have to have someone lead them, and they have to listen to that shepherd. Every one of us, as God's sheep, are individually accountable to God. You understand that I'm accountable to God? You're accountable to God. Everyone here that's saved and born again is accountable to God. In Romans 14 and verse 12, Paul writes, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Man, if you think about that, that one day you're going to stand in front of a righteous and holy God and have to give him an account of, of every idle word that you spoke, every deed that happened, understand this, what a, a scary time to me that's going to be. And of course, we have the famous passage of 2 Corinthians 5 in verse 10 that says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one of us may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Here's the truth. If we choose, make a deliberate choice to follow the crowd in the direction that leads us from God, we're responsible for the consequences of our own actions. And here's the truth. We don't have to follow the crowd over the cliff. We don't have to follow the crowd in the wrong direction. We can follow godly people and godly examples as they follow Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse number 1. He says, be ye followers of me even as I am also of Christ. So we find that God specifically commanded the Israelites not to follow those who are making wrong choices. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 23, and verse 2, he says this, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. So we have it 
uh, written in the Old Testament. We have it taught to us in the, in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. And, and we find that God says, thou shalt not follow the multitude that do evil. Who are you following today? Are you following the evil crowd or are you following the righteous crowd? You know, there's many Bibles examples of those that followed the crowd and ended up to be to their own destruction. I think of the children of Israel during the 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Think about this. They, they, they murmured and complained against God's man, against God himself, against the food in the camp. And no doubt this murmuring and gossip and complaining could be heard throughout the whole camp. Soon the, the whole crowd was going to rise up against Moses. And in the case of Korah's rebellion in Numbers chapter 16, thousands of people died because of murmuring, complaining, and gossiping. I think of the Israelites when they reached the promised land. They believed that the report of the, the ten faithless spies, instead of listening to Joshua and Caleb's faithful report from God, and they paid for their decision for the next 40 years. They wondered, and, and according to Numbers 13 and, ver, and, and chapter 14, understand this morning this, that the fickle crowd is easily swayed. Think about this. When Jesus, uh, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day, the day that we like to call Palm Sunday, the multitude shouted that day, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, according to Matthew 21 and verse 9. But a few days later, a week later, we find these words, crucify him, crucify him. You see, the fickle crowd is easily swayed. We must not blindly follow the crowd or end up reaping the unforeseen consequences of our decisions. We must listen to the voice uh, of the shepherd and be obedient as he follows his direction. And then lastly, understand this, we need to remain in the shepherd's care abiding. You see, wealthy sheep owners that had more than one sheep that they would care for their flock were very selective. They, they, they really took their time on who they hired to care for their sheep. You see, they, they had to be that way because the, the sheep were entirely dependent upon the shepherd. The sheep were just not some family pets. They were their livelihood for the family. And they were valuable animals that required attentive care by the shepherds. Listen, in just the same way, we, we are valuable to God as his children. He calls us in Psalm 100 in verse number 3, the sheep of his pasture. He even inspired David to write, the Lord is my shepherd. As a matter of fact, the entire 23rd Psalm describes the tender care of the Lord for his people. As we abide in his care, understand this, that we are to depend on his protection. You see, a lot of animals can defend themselves when it's necessary. But understand this, a sheep has no defense mechanism whatsoever. It can't even run fast. So there's nothing that a sheep can do to defend itself. Only the very toughest of rams that you might have seen high up in the mountain peaks that got those big curly horns. They're about the only ones that can defend himself. And then really, they're not really good at defending himself, but they have some way to do that. I think about this. Remember that when David, he killed both a lion 
uh, and a bear that attacked his sheep. Literally, the Bible says he took the lamb right out of the bear's mouth. You see, without David's protection, there had been no hope for the sheep. And we already know that Satan is our enemy. The Bible commands you and I to resist him. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. But notice verse number 9 now. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. James 4, 7 says this. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That word resist comes from two Greek words uh, that, st that means stand and against. So in essence, James is telling us this, that we are to stand against the devil. Understand that we can't defeat Satan apart from the Lord. Jesus withstood the temptations in the wilderness by quoting scriptures. Even angels rely on the Lord when it comes to resisting the devil in Jude chapter number 9. So just as sheep depend upon the protection of the shepherd, so we as well depend on the Lord for our protection. Some of you here today may have had some near-death experiences. And by that, I don't mean an out-of-body experience. I mean a near-death. I mean you almost died. Whether it was a car accident, physical ailment, something happened, you couldn't breathe, you got choked, and, and you had a near-death experience. And you have seen the Lord do mighty and miraculous things to sustain your life during that time. I believe this. I believe there has to be more times that we have near-death experiences, and we never know it because the Lord protected us before we ever noticed anything that came our way. And most of the time, we don't see God's continual hand of protection. But understand and know this, that God is watching over you. The psalmist says in the 121st Psalm in verse 4, Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. You say, I haven't gotten sleep the last couple of weeks, Pastor. Hey, you're right there on par with God, amen? Because the Bible said he never slumbers, he never sleeps. So praise God, hallelujah, amen. Read your Bible, meditate on God's word, amen. Someone said this, pastor, uh, they came to a pastor and they said, pastor, I just can't get some sleep. You think I ought to take some, some Psalm and X or something like that to help me sleep? He said, no, just open your Bible up, start to read, and you'll fall asleep right away, amen. And how true that is, how many times Donna could testify, she'll see me with my book open or my Bible open or a book of my notes for preaching as I prepare for the messages and on my neck's down like this and I'm fast asleep, amen. I think the, the ugly man has something to do with that. He doesn't want you to meditate upon his word. But know this, that God is watching over you. God never drops the ball. Nothing will ever happen to you that God does not cause or permit into your life. We can depend upon God's protection because he is the chief shepherd. Psalm 23 and verse 4 says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. We also depend upon God's protection not only for our physical future, but also our eternal future. You know, there's some people that are out there in this world that struggle with the assurance of their salvation. They can't get a handle on it. And they think by living some kind of sinful life or they can create uh, or do some big sin that they lose their eternal home and lose their eternal life. But once you have trusted Christ as your Savior, our salvation is guarded by God. It's not up to you any longer. He is our protector. 
And we find these wonderful words as we close in John 10 and verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. So he gives it to us. We don't earn it. He gives it to us. And they shall never perish. And he goes on to clarify it because he understands that some is going to say, well, what does that mean? He says, neither shall any man pluck them out of my father, out of my hand. And, you know, when he makes reference to that point, he's saying that we can't take ourselves out. Satan can't take us out. Angels can't take us out. Nobody can. And then he goes on and closes it in verse 20. My father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And then no man is able to pluck them out of my father's head. Glory. Hallelujah. We see that we depend on his protection. We depend on uh, secondly, on his promises, and then lastly, uh, we depend on his great truths to uphold us. You know, as God's sheep, we need to be developing the skill of hearing our shepherd's voice. We need to uh, understand this, that it requires reading and meditating on his word. We need to hear his voice. We need to obey immediately and follow him. Sometimes we'll be tempted to follow others going down a path of disobedience. But we must constantly be on alert for our lion-like enemy by the name of Satan. He is always on the prowl for opportunities to destroy our lives. Our shepherd provides us protection through his word. And by reading and by meditating upon his word, we can resist our enemy. Our shepherd is vigilant and always available in our time of distress. He's provided us with an unfailing promise to encourage our hearts and to strengthen our faith. What a joy it is this morning to belong to such a shepherd as we are the sheep of his pasture. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the preciousness of your word. Father, thank you for this metaphor found in Psalm 95. That, Father, that we are the sheep of your pasture, the people of his pasture. Oh, God, how exciting that is. Oh, Father, I do pray and ask that you would help us this morning. Help us to understand, Father, that we need to hear and we need to obey. We need to develop the skills of, of hearing the shepherd's voice. We need to be obedient following his lead almost immediately. Father, I pray that as you protect us through your word, Oh, Father, that you'll help us to resist the enemy. Help us to flee Satan. Oh, God, I pray that you'll touch the hearts and minds of your people that are here. Father, for the one that could be here today doesn't know Christ as their Savior. Oh, Father, we pray that today would be the day that they come to know Christ in a real and personal way. Save that lost soul today. In Christ's name we pray. Let's stand to our feet, please, with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around this morning. What a great metaphor of the Christian found here in this passage, that we are the sheep of his pasture. I wonder, has God spoken to your heart this morning? Maybe God has been speaking, but you haven't been listening. Maybe you've been listening and hearing, but haven't been obeying. Maybe you forgot about the protection that we have, physical protection, spiritual protection of eternal life with him. Maybe you'd like to come and just pray this morning. Whatever the case is, would you just come? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. You've never been saved, born again, never trusted in Christ as your Savior.
Maybe today is the day that God has spoken to your heart about your need to be saved. And you'd like to step out of that pew wherever you're at and come forward. And let us take the Bible and show you how that you might be saved. Oh boy, you can be moved from being an enemy of God to a child of God. You can be called a sheep of his pasture or a people of his pasture in Psalm 95. Knowing that uh, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, is there for you. Hurting you, moving you from place to place. Looking for the fresh water of the word of God. The green pastures in the word of God. The strength to have a life pleasing to him. Would you feed on him? Would you meditate upon his word? If you're here and don't know Christ, would you just step out of the pew where you're at and take that first step to come forward and we'll take the Bible without embarrassing in any way, shape, or form and know you, that you may know that you can become a born-again child of God. These are still praying. There's still time for you this morning. Do you need to come? Some business between you and God needs to take place. No one else comes. We'll close after this course. But there's still time for you and opportunity for you.